Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles, if you will, to um, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. Um, I don't know if you follow this kind of news, but uh, I, I saw some, I read something two weeks ago, and then I read up more about it this week, more information came out, uh, horrifyingly, shockingly discouraging news um, about yet another uh, spiritual leader, another pastor, another um, person of, of faith in the leadership community who uh, has some allegations. I don't know if you read it, but Robbie Zacharias, he died a handful of months ago. Do y'all know who I'm talking about, Robbie Zacharias? There are allegations of some uh, improprieties and some, uh, some pretty serious allegations. And so when, when, I, when I read that, I wasn't surprised because I, I've, I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm not surprised anymore about really much anything. But there was, a, there was a sadness inside of my heart. And the reason for that is it's yet another person who is uh, a faith leader, another pastor, another apologist, another person that we look up to and, and get spiritual guidance from who now has a mark on their record. Now, I just got to be very clear to say that these accusations have not been definitively proven. And so... I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt until it is, but since it's public now, if you haven't heard of it, you probably will go and you'll look at it. But he falls in line with, with just dozens and dozens over the last couple of years and hundreds over the last uh, several years, and then the ones that we don't even know about it because they're localized in different places. If I said the name Ted Haggard, would you know the story? If I said the name Bill Hybels, would you know the story? Y'all don't follow any of this at all. Okay, apparently you are immune to it. That's good. Um, uh, if I said Mark Driscoll, would you know the story? If I said Gordon McDonald, would you know the story? All of these names that I just named are high-profile pastors who have fallen from ministry. Um, and it's the same as maybe, maybe Jimmy Swagger. You know the story? Robert Tilton, right? Bob Coy. Man, y'all really don't follow this stuff, do you? Maybe that's a good thing. There are local names I could give. You'd know that story, right? Here's my question. What do we do when, when pastors fail? What do we do when people that we respected and trusted, not just pastors, but, but teachers or, or people who we thought were solid and grounded in their faith, even though they don't lead a church, they're still, still spiritual leaders in our house. What do we do when they fail? What do we do when they sin and it's so grievous and, it's, and, and you sit and you go, how could, of all the people, I figured they would not be the one to do that. An affair, a money scandal, a power grab, you name it. What do we do in that situation? Well, I want to help us to wrestle through this because what I can tell you is that without any question, it is not the last time you're going to see a news story about a failure. At any moment, the shoe could drop and another person is going to be in the news because they did something that was against God and it became a scandal. But this is not anything new. What I want to help you to do today is this. First off, recognize that it's going to happen. But two, help you to walk through the response to when it happens. Because as the, as the, the fear would be is, well, there goes that another Christian. See, that's not why I'm part of a church, right? See, that's why I don't do religion. That's why I don't do Christianity. Even the people who lead their thing, they're just hypocrites, all of them, right? You ever heard that? But what do you do? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we have a story that I, I've mentioned to somebody this past week. I can't remember who it was, honestly. It was, but, but nevertheless, it's fresh on my mind. And that's probably why I mentioned it because it was fresh on my mind. But 2 Samuel chapter 11, we have the story of a man who 
who sinned, not just once, but one sin led to another sin, which led to another sin, and before long, his whole life was totally jacked up. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, 2 Samuel 11, 1, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this, this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to go get her. The man said, or excuse me, go get her. She came to him and he slept with her. She had purified herself from uncleanliness. Then she went back home and the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now who was David? David was the greatest king in all of Israel. If you ask any person who is a Jew, a practicing Jew, or, or just has any sense of his own heritage, he will tell you that David is the greatest king in all of Judaism. The Bible has a specific word about David, and that is in two different places, both in 1 Samuel and in Acts. The Bible says that God said that David is a man after God's own heart. So we know what kind of person this is. This isn't just a faker. He's not, he's not just someone who is, you know, by chance in leadership position. This is someone who was put into a leadership position because he was, he was specifically chosen by God as a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? That means he's a per, he was a person who listened to the voice of God and who obeyed the voice of God. He was a good man. He was a faithful man. He was a holy man. He was a man who did what nobody else would dare to do. He was a man who believed in what God had spoken. All you got to do is go back and look at his history. You'll see that he didn't seek the crown. The crown was given to him. You'll see that he was the only one who, decide, who, who desired to uphold the name of the Lord by facing the, the giant Goliath. When the king and all of his army cowered in fear, David as a young man just stood and said, you know what, I'll grab five rocks in my slingshot, I'll go put him in his place. Why? Because he, he revered the name of the Lord and that was the reason that he wanted to go fight this giant. You'll know that he was a man who did not usurp King Saul's authority. No, everything he did was to honor the king. You'll know that when, when David was hiding inside of a, a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself, David could have killed him and instead just cut off the real part of his robe. And then he repented of it. He felt so, such conviction about that that he said, Look, I have sinned against God. I should not have touched the Lord's anointed. In other words, I was tempted to take his life, but instead I just did this to show that I could have and didn't. So this is not, this is not just some fly-by-night yahoo. This was... This was truly a man who was walking with God, serving the Lord, leading a nation in the right way. But in chapter 11, we have a turn. We have a moment. We have a fall. Now, the Bible says that in the spring, when the kings went off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now, we don't know why. It wasn't necessarily sin that he stayed back. It wasn't necessarily the wrong thing. But typically, kings would go off with their armies. Now, why did he stay back? We don't know why. Here's a couple of reasons. Maybe he saw this Amorite army as a small army, and he knew the Lord was going to give victory. And so he said, you know what, Joab? I'm going to trust you as my number one army, uh, number one commander to go and take care of this. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he was exhausted. Maybe... Maybe he was thinking to himself, you know what? They don't need me. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the king. I, I've got other things to do. Regardless of the reason why he stayed back, he stayed back. And one day he got up and he walked onto the top of his roof. And he was walking around. I kind of picture it like this. I kind of picture that he had his hands back like this. Just walking around. Side note, you know the difference between a mortician and a preacher? Preacher, mortician. Preacher, mortician. That's it. Did you get that? Preacher, mortician. That's it. Just so you know. Rabbit. 
Oh, a squirrel. He was walking around the top of his roof. That went over way better in my head, by the way. He was walking around his roof, and he was just, he probably just thinking. We don't know what was going on, but we can, we can, we can say that what could have been going on, he could have been looking over his kingdom and going, man, this is, this is good stuff. Man, look, as far as I can see, that's, that's my kingdom. He could have been up there and been, been saying, you know what? I am so lonely. This king thing is hard. I'm tired of it. People keep shooting arrows at me. Everybody wants me dead. He could have been up there um, just talking to God. Any of those are possibilities. It is not, a, it is not beyond the enemy's scheme to attack you when you are most trying to seek the Lord. In fact, wouldn't that be the way that he would want to work? Just when you're, you feel like you're on your knees enough, just when you feel like you're walking close enough, that's when the enemy will come in at the, week, at the moment where you, if anyone stands firm, let him take heed, lest he, what? Fall, right? But as he's walking to the edge of the roof, he sees Bathsheba. Doesn't know her name at the point, but he sees this beautiful woman bathing in the courtyard below. Now, I would like to think that, that, that he would have gone over and go, Oop, woo, nope, not going to do that, right? But here's probably what happened. He walks over and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's probably some turmoil going on in, inside of his heart. Again, we're just, we, we have the basic of the story. We don't have all the details, but knowing, knowing a, a man and a woman and the way they, they normally behave in, in this kind of situation, that's probably what was going on. So he sends word down to her, or he sends one of his messengers down, find out who she is. He should have never done that, but he did. Brings the message back, this is a daughter and this is a wife. Now I don't know how much time he spent thinking about it and deliberating it, but the end decision was, go get her. That was where sin was birthed. That's where, that's where I believe the sin really became rooted inside. Even in that moment, he had an escape, but he didn't. She came up. They slept together. And then she went back to her house. And then she sent word. She probably texted him, hey, dude, I'm pregnant. Probably didn't text. Probably sent messenger. So here's the thing. How is it that this man who had everything he could possibly want and need, he did not want for money, he did not want for power, he did not want for women, he did not want for food, he didn't want for protection, he did not want for loyalty. He had more of a, of a, of a loyal army than any other king. He had 30 mighty men who would die for him at any single given second. He had everything, and yet he still chose to step across the line and sin. See, this is the question we ask with preachers and leaders. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm specifically talking about preachers, but this could be anybody that we respect and look up to. It's, it's possible that no matter what they look like on the outside, there's a secret life going on on the inside. And what I want to do today is ask how do we do that? How do we move from a man after God's own heart to a person with a secret life? Are you all with me? Is this, I hope this will be helpful to you. How do we do that? Because beware, if you think that you are immune to it, you are not. You are not immune to being a person who is walking with Jesus one day, and before you know it, you turn around, and you have sinned greatly. In fact, if you think that, you couldn't, that it couldn't happen to you, you are in more danger than you could possibly imagine. I've come up with four reasons or, or four uh, uh, temptations, I guess, that every fall that you can think of that has been publicly made known can fit into. Four, four sins, if you will. These are the things that you and I have to guard in our life uh, uh, Milita—that's uh, uh, not the right word. Uh, we've got to be radical in guarding these things. 
We've got to be so crazy engaged in making sure these things are dealt with in our life because if they're not, they will get you. Here's the four things. You ready? Pride, sex, money, and power. I guarantee you, if you fall, it's going to be because of pride. And then it's probably going to be displayed through sex, money, or power. Just go back in your, in your mind. Think of, the, think of the people you know or the stories you know of. What category does that fall in? Well, pride is the beginning of all things, right? Even the Bible says pride comes before the fall. And pride can be in a bunch of different ways. Pride can be in saying, look what I've built. Look what I've done. And then pride could also be, I can't share my deepest struggles. So it could be on the one side of thinking you're better than you are, and it could be the other side of thinking you're worse than you are, but thinking that nobody will listen. But pride is always at the root of falling. Always. And one of the greatest temptations for anyone, whether man or woman, is the temptation of sexual indiscretion. Here's what's scary about this. You don't have to try. You just have to not be on guard. Amen? It literally takes seconds for your heart to go from holy to hellion. Seconds. I'm shocked at myself sometimes. I go, where did that come from? Right? I raise a hallelujah. Right? I mean, how do, you, how do you do that? Because the heart is deceitful above all else. Did you get that? You're praising the Lord one second and you're looking at something, and you know, whether it's a person or whatever, and, and you're going, how quickly my heart is deceived. And it's not just a man. It's also a woman. A little bit of attention here. A little bit of kindness there. Inch by inch, step by step, before you know you're a mile away from where you started. Here's what we don't know about this story. David was on his roof. I don't think that was an isolated event. I think he went on his roof a lot. I think that because if I were him and I had a palace and I had a roof that overlooked the kingdom, I'd be out there all the time. I'd make myself a cup of coffee. And I'd walk out like this. Right? Probably go, ah, I mean, just, I would do that. Here's what we don't know. I am not placing the blame on Bathsheba. Do not hear me say that I'm shaming her. I'm simply saying this is a possibility because I know it's a possibility and a reality in today's culture in which we live. It could have been that Bathsheba thought to herself, you know, Uriah, he's okay, but he's no king. Uh, the other day I was in the market and I saw the king and he, he waved to me and even spoke to me. Doesn't know my name, but he's a good king. I mean, I live next to a giant palace. Wonder what the food is like in there. It is possible that Bathsheba went out with the intentional purpose of deliberately tempting the king. We don't know that, but we also know that that's not the case. It could have been innocent. She could have just been out there bathing, but she could have had this intention in her heart. Here's one thing you need to know about, about high-profile people, or let me say it differently, about people who lead people. They are targets for others who would want to well, many different reasons, but they are target for people who would throw themselves and tempt. And it is naive and it is ignorant to think that no matter what you look like, if you're a leader, you're not going to have temptations from, from another person. Think of the counselor who is kind, 
person comes in for counseling, there's kindness. Well, that's soothing and satisfying. And so something in their heart begins to, to, to mature and something starts to, to think, oh, I enjoy this. Does that make sense? Now here, I'm not in any way saying it is Bathsheba's fault, but I'm also saying that from the perspective of David, he's got to be aware. You and I have got to be aware that opportunities are always at the door. We've got to have a radar that sticks up and says, warning, this is not good. I've had times before where uh, I just had that sense that a woman that I was talking with was not, I, I just had that weird sense and I just, I just had to go, I can't, I mean, I, I wasn't rude to her, I just, I kept my distance. Not her, I mean, it, it's happened more than a couple of times and it could have been absolutely nothing, but here's the thing. You can never lower your guard. Amen? Never lower your guard. I had one person... Well, I won't say that. So pride. David could have been out here going, man, look what I built. Sex. Bathsheba could have been tempting him. But regardless, something grew in his heart and he said, I want her. Money. How many people have started with just a little indiscretion and that little indiscretion made it easier for a little indiscretion which made it easier for a bigger indiscretion and before you know there's been an embezzlement of half a million dollars and it all started from using a credit card for a personal purchase or it all started from uh, uh, just borrowing a dollar or two from the petty cash or it all, you know what I'm talking about, right? Very rarely does a person go from holy to deep sin in one step. It's inch by inch by inch by inch. And then power. Mark Driscoll, Gordon McDonald, whole host of them, they're, they're, they did not engage in sexual sin, but the accusation was a domineering um, power, uh, 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 just uh, not, not, not leading well. You don't know the saying, absolute power, what? Corrupts absolutely. So you say to me, Jeff, okay, that makes sense. Pride, sex, money, power. That makes sense that those are the things. It actually, any one of those could have been David's issue. Very likely could have been all of them. Because they, they usually don't isolate themselves. But if that's the case, how do we keep that from happening? What do we do in our own life to keep us away from that line of falling into pride, uh, sex, power, and money, or money and power? What do we do? Well, this is specifically, um, I was thinking specifically for pastors and for, for people who are leading people, but these are actually good for all of us because everybody leads on some level, okay? Here are a couple of danger signs. One, if your platform outgrows your character, you are having a problem or you're in danger. Does that make sense? If your platform outgrows your character, in other words, if the amount of leadership responsibility you have is larger than what your character can support, you are in danger. And character is about the little things. They say character is what you do in secret. Nobody else is looking, right? It's the little fudges here and the little fudges there. Here's why being a person of character is so important. Because if your character has cracks or flaws, the more responsibility and the more, um, uh, the, the more level of leadership you get, that character will break every time. Because the foundation of who you are is flawed. Here's where there's quite a dilemma. Because all of us have flawed characters. We are all flawed in some way. 
I was just reading through a list of people. Uh, again, I was thinking specifically of spiritual leaders, but do you know that um, many of the fathers of the faith had horrible family lives? Go back and read what John Wesley said about his wife sometimes. He only wrote one thing about his wife in his journal. And, and John Wesley wrote all, not John Wesley, um, the other Wesley. Say it again. Okay, actually it was John, not Charles. It was John. So, sorry, I got confused. John Wesley actually only wrote one thing in his journal. And, and I can't quote it verbatim, but it basically was good riddance. She left him and he was like, good riddance. That's the only thing he ever wrote about her. They had constant conflict at home, constantly. She spread rumors about him, having affairs and rumors about this and that. Talk about a, talk about a ministry that's racked in home turmoil, right? Other uh, well-known preachers have sons and have daughters who have wandered from the faith and have done uh, countless things that are, that are just, just unspeakable. John Ortberg who was at Willow Creek and, and is now in California, is in bottled, is in, in uh, he's in, in, in the midst of a mess where his two sons are warring against each other on Twitter about things. Y'all don't know that name either, right? Google it, you'll see. So every single person has flaws. Every person has feet of clay. And here's what we need to understand. If we don't constantly work on those things, if we don't constantly humble ourselves before the Lord and let Him change us and move us and build us and grow us, the more responsibility we get, the more likely it is we're going to fall. Does that make sense? For, the, for you young people in here. I don't ever say that. That's kind of cool. For you young people in here. You figure out who I'm talking to. Right? Character matters. When you look in the mirror, you are not who you're going to be. But you better not stay like you are. Because like you are is not going to cut it when God moves you into a greater amount of leadership. How do I know that? Because all of us grow. All of us have insecurities. All of us have fears. All of us have things in our life that are not right and so part of what I want to do today is I want to bring I want to bring humanity to leaders because we look and we're like oh man it messed up again I want us to have empathy and compassion that's the last part of the message but I want us to see that leaders lead with feet of clay 2 Corinthians 4 leave it 7 it says we have this treasure in clay pots He's talking about us, clay pots. A clay pot is fragile. And if you break a clay pot, you're probably not going to get, back, get it back together. You can super glue it, but you know that that pot has been broken, right? And so when your platform outgrows your character, that's a warning sign. That's a danger. But on the flip side, always concentrate on building your character. Here's another one. When we allow the little things to slip, small compromises. That's why the Bible tells us that we're to confess our sin to God. That's why the Bible tells us we're supposed to confess our sin to each other. Now, we don't want to do that, right? By the way, I recommend that you don't confess all your sin to everybody. Not a good idea. You confess some sins to everybody, some sins you just confess to the people you trust. To people will hold you accountable, but also will love you and not condemn you if you say that. Question, do you have anybody in your life, I'm skipping ahead, but do you have anybody in your life who you can say, this is me? Because that's another danger sign. Isolation and loneliness. When you isolate yourself, pull away from everybody else, and don't have any vulnerability, don't let anybody else into your life, you are in grave danger of being picked off by a sniper. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. Why? Because nobody's covering your six. Nobody's got your back. 
And if we can do something in secret and get away with it, it's easier next time to do it in secret and the next time to do it in secret. That's why pornography is such a big deal right now. It used to be that if you wanted to do something with that, you had to go to the Circle K or the 7-Eleven. You had to plop some money down. They had to take and get this magazine that was encased in plastic behind a cover. And you had to basically make sure everybody knew, hey, I'm, I'm buying that, right? Right? That's the way it used to be. And then there was this invention called the VCR. But even then, you had to go to the movie store. And you had to go into the other section right? I'm not supposing anybody did that in here. I'm just saying if you wanted to, that's what you had to do. Now, you just got to pull out your phone. In fact, the interesting thing about it is you don't even have to search for it. It'll search for you. Am I right? That's the way it is. And anonymity, isolation, leads to a fall. Another danger sign is when you go into protection mode. Here's what protection mode is. Protection mode is when you've been shot so many times by arrows that you, draw, you circle the wagons and you decide, I am not going to get hurt again. Now part of protection mode is isolating. Part of protection mode is, is putting on a front. Hey, yeah, everything's great. How you doing? Oh, man, fantastic. How things at home, man, couldn't be better. Putting those pictures on Facebook, make sure everybody sees how cool we are, right? Protection mode is a dangerous, dangerous place because it's not... Protection mode is about survival, not about healthy, healing, living. When you go into protection mode, you're not thinking about getting healthy. You're thinking about staying alive. And eventually, it will catch up to you. Amen? Now again, we're talking about leaders, but we're talking about us because all of us are susceptible to this. Here's the last thing. Kerry Newoff made a statement about, about this, about himself actually. He stepped down as the lead pastor of his church. Um, and, and even though things were going well, they grew from like 300 to five times that many. I don't know if you don't follow Kerry Newoff. But... but he said, the reason I had to step down is because somewhere along the way, I lost my soul. Let that sink in. Somewhere along the way, I lost my soul. It's possible for you in your life to somewhere along the way, lose your soul. I read a story of a guy who uh, was in ministry some, well, he was in full-time ministry 20 years. He had been a Christian for 40 years. He walked away from his wife, his kids, his church, his faith, everything. He totally walked away. And I guarantee you, all of these danger signs would have been in his life. So here's the real question, okay? What are we going to do about this? Two things. What are we going to do about it in our own life? But what are we going to do? How do we respond when somebody we love or somebody we respect falls? And by the way, I, was, I told folks over here, I said, I'm not setting you up to tell you something about me. Just, just in case you're wondering. I'm not, I'm not all about, you know, so far so good, right? But what do we do? What would you do if I were to sin and have a, have a fall? I mean, God forbid that would happen, but... I'm not above that. It scares me to death, to be honest with you. I've actually prayed multiple times, Lord, kill me before I totally uh, hijack and, and mess up your name. I'd rather be dead than embarrass your name. So if I get in a car crash today, you'd be like, well, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Some things I probably shouldn't say. <laughs> Turn, if you will, to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. I want to close with giving us a, oh wow, it's only 11.30, cool. I want to, I want to basically bring this home by, by giving us an example of how we're to react or respond to people. Not, not react, but how we respond to people who are caught in sin, who are leaders and who fall. 
John chapter 13, it was just before the Passover feast, is verse 1. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, now he showed them the full extent of his love. So what's going on here? Jesus has his disciples. It's before the Passover starts. It's just before the Passover starts. He brings them into a room. They're eating a meal. They're laughing and joking and uh, having a good time. Then Jesus stands up from the table and he walks over and he takes off his outer garment and he puts on a servant's cloth. Then he grabs a bowl and fills it with water. And then he goes and he kneels in front of the disciples. And one by one, he puts their, hand, their feet in his hands and he washes them. And the, and the water is getting more and more dirty. It's becoming very obvious that he's, he's touching their feet. Now, who was in the room? His disciples, right? How many disciples did he have? Twelve. Give me the name of one disciple. You said Peter. But I'm going to get to him next. The one I'm thinking of? Judas. I want you to think of the heartbeat of Jesus. How Jesus could look at Judas in the eye and still kneel before him, grab his feet, and wash the dirt away. The king of all kings. The one who is about to be crucified on a criminal's cross after he is beaten and bruised and after he is humiliated in front of the whole crowd all because Judas sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. There is no betrayal as great as the betrayal that, that Judas had for Jesus. And yet Jesus still grabbed his feet and he washed them. And that was the reason he did that. He showed him or showed them the full extent of his love. How do we respond to somebody who falls? We love them. And I don't like this verse. Because what we want to do is stick a dagger in their heart because of the betrayal. And the, the, the more you're hurt, the more you want to hurt. That's the human response. But here's the thing. There's nobody who has any excuse if Jesus can fully love Judas, you and I can fully love anyone. Why do you suppose he gave us that example? Why do you suppose we are to forgive? And why do you suppose we're to love in the midst of such great brokenness? Number one, it's for your own heart and your own health. I was recently talking with a, uh, a retired uh, psychiatrist. <laughs> That's kind of a funny statement, isn't it? <laughs> so he's like half as good as he used to be, right? No, he, 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 he practiced for 50 or 60 years. Uh, he was a graduate of um, Tulane. Very brilliant guy. Very good practice. But he retired, and, and he and I were talking, and he made a statement. We were on his front porch. He said, I discovered that the root of most everybody's problem when they come see me is unforgiveness. He said, you don't find that in the textbooks, and they don't teach that in school. But almost every single time I can go to the root of unforgiveness in their life. And if they get that right, then they can find true wholeness. Why should you and I love somebody who's unlovable? Because we will not find true wholeness until we let go of the justice that we think ought to be given out. And we let God be the one who handles that category in that department. Amen? We want to hold on to it, but think about something. If we're holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness, we have no room to hold on to anything else. Right? Because our hands are tied up. You say, well, they deserve. They deserve my judgment. They very well might. But if Jesus can serve and love with the full extent of his love to such a betrayer as Judas, then he must have known something that we need to know. And that is, 
God doesn't let anything go undealt with. Judas got eventually the justice he deserved. Nathan, by the way, got eventually, or not Nathan, David in the Old Testament, he got what justice deserved. In fact, I didn't go through the whole story, but if you go back and read it, the very next chapter, chapter 12, God sends a prophet, Nathan. And that prophet says to David, hey, David, there's a guy I know about. And he had everything. He had all the, 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 uh, the, 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 the lambs. He had everything. And his neighbor had one single lamb. And a guest came into town. And, and this rich guy stole the one lamb from the poor guy. And, sacri- and they ate it. And so, you know, why did he, and David, as he was telling the story, David goes, shouldn't be. He will pay four times as much. And Nathan then says, you are that man. And guess what? If you look a little bit further in that chapter, what you find is that from that point on, David's family was, in, was, was uh, a mess the whole, the whole rest of his life. His sons were messed up. His family was messed up. It was a wreck. So justice came for David. Here's the thing. You and I can let go and we can serve and we can love even the one who has done the greatest harm because at some point God will mete out justice. We have to be comfortable in resting in that fact. But we also need to recognize that when we hold on to it, it kills us, not them. Here's the second thing. Uh, in verse 31, when he had gone, Jesus said, uh, actually, I take that 18. I am not referring to all of you. I know those who I've chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Anyone who accepts that I send him accepts me. Whoever accepts me accepts the one that has sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled and testified. I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. Here's the thing. There is grace, but there's truth. Do you see, do you see that they're not, they're not opposing, they're, 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 not, they're not against each other, they work together. You can't really have grace without truth. And you really shouldn't ever have truth without offering grace. So it wasn't that they just got a pass, it was that Jesus was saying, look, I'm going to love you and love you and love you, but let me tell you the truth of what's going on here. I had a conversation with a friend of mine. And the conversation went like this. Hey, you're going down a really dark path. It's full of pain. And it's full of sorrow. And God is chasing you. And you're going to wind up in the belly of a fish eventually. And you're going to need a friend. I'll be your friend. So when you have nobody else to call because everybody's abandoned you, you call me. And then we'll go from there. Because I believe that Jesus demands that we offer grace and truth without exception. Where does this hit you today? What part of this message was for you? Are you, you got some danger signs in your life? Why not step back before you cross the line? Do you have some people in your life that God is saying, I want you to love them unconditionally? God bless you. That's a hard one for all of us, but it is the right thing to do. You hold unforgiveness or bitterness? You know what, you know what the thing about forgiveness is? At least in my own life, here's what I've experienced. I can forgive and then go back and realize that I've only forgot, forgiven one layer, right? So you go back and you're like, all right, I'll forgive. And then you go and you go, well, I've only forgiven another layer. And you go back and you keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving until all of a sudden your heart has been set free. You say, well, that's wrong. No, it's not. We're human beings. Only Jesus can forgive and forget. The rest of us have memories because we're human. 
And what God wants is for you to constantly move to forgiveness and grace. Because what God is doing in their life, He's also doing the same in your life. I heard it said not too long ago as well that every, every, every uh, uh, relationship, horizontal relationship we have is simply a picture of the things in the relationship with the Father that we need to deal with. So if you have, a, if you have an issue with somebody, a human, there's a spiritual component to that somewhere. And that spiritual relationship that's broken is coming out in the physical relationship, right? And almost in every grievance, you and I have a part in the brokenness. Does that make sense? Very rarely is it 100% somebody else's fault. So your job and my job is to deal with the part that we deal with and then forgive, offer grace, and offer truth and pray that God will begin to heal that relationship as well. So I want to end right here because, because what I want to talk about, it's going to take a lot longer. Here's where I think we are in church, okay? I think that we have a bunch of people who have broken relationships with each other, with neighbors, with bosses, with friends. And I think that what the enemy wants to do is separate and divide and isolate so he can steal and kill and destroy. You cannot destroy a family who is together. Because God fights for them. You can destroy a family who's got cracks. And who's got infighting or who's got broken relationships. What I know is that in this room, there is such a crazy amount of difference, it's not even funny. I mean, we've got so many differences. It, it's, 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 it's almost, it's almost un, uh, uh, I can't even comprehend how different we are. You go, well, no, we're all the same. We're all, no, there's a lot of difference between us. There's a lot of commonality, but there's a lot of difference. Because that difference all the, a lot of times comes from our past. Because some of us come from broken homes. Some of us come from awesome homes. Some of us come from money. Some of us come from poverty. Some of us come from abuse. Some of us come from, from addiction. Some of us come from an in, unconditional love and all of that. Some of us come from broken marriages. Some of us come from, from a, a single marriage. I mean, it's, it's, some of us are adopted. Some of us are, are birthed. It's all of these things come together and we are basing our relationships on, on the things that happened before. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm doing a new thing in you. And if you want to survive, you've got to learn to love each other. Because if you love each other, nothing, nothing can break what I'm building. Does that make sense? Over the next several weeks, I'm going to be talking about this. I'm going to be challenging you to be a friend to people. Here. I'm going to challenge you to not be cliquish. To not be isolated. See, it's both sides. You, you can't complain that there's a clique if you stay in the corner all the time. And you can't complain that they stay in the corner all the time if you're a clique. Right? Here's what I know. There are people in this room who feel totally disconnected from everybody in here. I know that. So I've been asking the question, what's going on? Welcome to being human. <laughs> and there are some people, I'm just going to leave church. I'm not doing church because it's so clicky. You're going to leave work too? You been to a family reunion lately? <laughs> I mean, really? You can't even get it right in your own family and you want strangers to get it right? That sounded a little harsh. I don't mean it that way. But what I mean is, if God has put you here, it's because you have something that we need. And because you have something that you need. And I believe that God doesn't make any mistakes. 
So for the next several weeks, we're going to intentionally try to drive down to the root of how we can genuinely love each other as the people of God. And by God's grace, we'll get it right. Some of the time. Right? Hey, we're going to close. And as I close, I want to invite you to come to Jesus. If you've not ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you that the Bible tells us that it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of our works. You can't be good enough to find God's favor. You can't be good enough. You can't be good enough to the, that your sin will be, be, uh, be kind of outweighed. No. If you only sin one time a day, multiply that by 365 and then, then your age. You'll, you'll, if it were only one time a day, you, you have to rent a U-Haul to carry all your sin, right? But the Bible says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to tell you there is a God who is standing at the door of your heart and He's knocking and He's asking you if you will surrender and yield to Him. Take all of the hurt and all of the pain and all of the, the past and just lay it at His feet. Just open up and say, God, here's my junk. And He says, yeah, I know about that. I was just wondering when you'd figure it out. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to dump it. Because if you'll dump it, you won't have to hold on to it anymore. And then piece by piece, little by little, He'll start sorting through that. And it hurts and it's long. It's not a quick process. But God will forgive and He will heal. And best of all, He will make you His child. He will say, you have my name. I've adopted you as one of my own. And nobody will snatch you from my hands. That's what the Bible promises if we'll come to Him. Will you come to Him today? Do you need to be saved? Saved is a word we use. It's in, it, it's in the, the Bible understanding of we're lost. We're wandering. To be saved mean that, means that we found a home. You know, maybe you are a believer, but some of these warning signs are going on in your life. Maybe you don't even recognize them yet. Would you at least humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, would you make me sensitive to all of these things? I do not want to fail your great name. Maybe you've already crossed, stepped across the line. And you need to just confess before God, God, I've sinned. I need forgiveness. You know what? I don't have to tell you what you need to do. You already know. You already know. Some of you can't even speak. All you can do is, is just stand before God. Then that's what you need to do. Will you stand? Let's sing. Church at historicpointchurch.com.